Chris here. We have been making Let's Find Out for about six years now. Our episodes have shaped public conversations in Edmonton around grave sites and school names and plaques, magpies, green onion cakes. They're regularly used as resources in classrooms. Just last week, someone told me how much our episode about Ukrainian immigration had moved her, and it moved me too. If this show matters to you, add something to how you see our city. We have a new way to support it a Patreon page, which will help us pay for the cost of running the show. The website, the editing software, the audio hosting, and there's cute merch at the higher levels too. There's stickers and mugs. All support is appreciated. There's a link to our Patreon on our website. If you can't afford to make a monthly pledge, don't worry. I'm a grad student. I get it. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a podcast about Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichiu Skygun, on Treaty 6 territory and Métis Region 4. We take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and then we find out the answers together. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hello, can you hear me? It's Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yep. Kay Rollins' question is the first one we'll be answering this season, all about parks and natural areas in Edmonton. She came to our live show last month, where we had a bunch of speakers and games to inspire folks to fill our story garden. Matthew invited me. I'm not on social media, so I never know when anything's happening. Oh. So I always appreciate being told when things are happening, so I can go to them. Uh, hi, my name is Kay Rollins, and I grew up in Crestwood right beside the McKinnon Ravine and I'm excited to learn more about it. And I'm excited yeah. to make more radio and pods with you because we... I know, it's been so long, it's really <laughs> exciting. Yeah, we worked together on All That Matters like uh, like six Ages and ages and ages ago, yeah. Um, so... Tell me about your specific question. Okay, so um, I grew up right up the hill from McKinnon Ravine. Like if I walked a couple of blocks from my house, I could walk right down into the little goat paths in McKinnon Ravine and then on into the River Valley and Government House Park and all of that good stuff. And um, there are these big sewers and like there's infrastructure there that's obviously meant for a road and it's like well above the <laughs> ground level of the park but having grown up there it was just sort of part of the park and I never really noticed it until somebody pointed it out to me like what the heck <laughs> right that's not part of nature right <laughs> it's like oh yeah what are these like strange sewers doing Whoa. here um and then i you know this is a great opportunity for me because i did a tiny bit of research enough to find like a news article about how the park was going to be turned into a road and the news article included a mention of 
people in Crestwood <laughs> protesting, and Crestwood is the community that I grew up in, and, uh, and, and someone hanging an effigy from the 149th Street Bridge. And I grew up on 146th Street, and this, <laughs> and that's all I had, and that's all I've had for a long time. It's been probably 10 years of just being like, who hung that there? Who was the effigy of? What is like? Who who is the person who did did that? <laughs> so I'm on the Edmonton City is Museum Project website. They've got an article about one of the artists who is protesting to save McKinnon Ravine, and it says. Effigies marked with the names Jeff and Dud and labeled Vandals of the Year, which were assumed to represent two city commissioners involved in the project to build this freeway through the ravine, were hung from the 142nd Street Bridge. Is this the same effigies? uh, I would think so, yeah. 142nd Street Bridge. Yeah, pardon me, I got it wrong. 149 is where where McKinnon goes up. Okay. And then you, yeah, it is 142nd Street Bridge. There are two major roads on either side of Crestwood. One is 142 and the other one is 149. Okay. 149 has no bridge, so it would be... <laughs> <laughs> this is not my neighborhood, so I'm, I'm, I'm fresh to this as well. What about these intrigues you? I mean, you just don't... I just... When was the last time I saw an effigy? Like, maybe never. I don't think... <laughs> um... So I think just that intrigues me, the, the, the style of protest. I think, I think there's something just about the novelty of, again, this piece of infrastructure, the 142nd Street Bridge. <laughs> you know, when you're used to things, they blend into the background, but I think it would be really um, startling to see that in, in the valley and on this bridge. <laughs> <laughs> be quite i think it would be really impactful um i don't what intrigues me about it it's it's quite violent i guess that's part of what intrigues me about it Mm -hmm. quite violent for a cause that um i certainly support or would have supported if i were around at the time uh does it seem out of character for how edmontonians usually protest to save spaces i mean yeah i it feels like it's from another time. Mm. Mm. And this goes back to, to, to taking things for granted. Like, I haven't had to try to save the McKinnon ravine. Um, I don't know what I would do if I had to do that. Maybe based on this history, I would also make an effigy. But you know what? It seems violent, but it also seems humorous. Like it seems like it has a a sense of humor to it in a way, mm. of just like bringing whatever. Like you're saying, they were artists that did this. The there were artists involved in the general movement to save the the ravine, including Margaret Chappelle, which hopefully we can learn more about her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know who all was involved in that, in that movement, but they, um, according to this article, Margaret, uh, Chappelle disclaimed her movement's involvement in the effigies. Um, so mm-hmm. she, she said they weren't involved and, uh, th- this article anyway, doesn't have a theory or speculation on who hung these things. Like there's something kind of, um, 
like magical about it somehow, you know, it's threatening, it's kind of magic spell casting. <laughs> and and like ultimately it worked. I guess and obviously it was a headline grabber in a certain respect that where just sort of a march through the valley might not get the same kind of attention as like also they hung an effigy from the bridge. <laughs> so I guess that's an extended question is like what impact did this uh did this particular part of of the protest have on its result Mm. what would answering this mean to you as a human it's okay if it's extremely low stakes i'm just curious um i mean i think it would give me like depth to my relationship with the mckinnon ravine and I don't know, a feeling of, this is maybe, a, but like a feeling of pride in the, the neighborhood from which I came and, and the people who who were there at, in a time of need. Like it would be such a different place to live hmm. if there were a road beside me. I've always, always appreciated having a park right beside my parents' house. Like what a wonderful thing to grow up next to. It would have been such a different place. So I think just, it would mean just knowing history, the history of that movement as, as kind of a way of respecting it even more and, hmm. and understanding it. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, um, so I propose that our first trip be to the city archives because they usually have clippings files for um, like issues that would have been in the news like this. Um, but also they, they have like city of Edmonton government records that might be relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we could find out like who Jeff and Dud were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I want to know that as well. Um, and, and why were they, what were they described as? Uh, vandals of the year. Vandals of the year. Yeah. Yep. A bit of background on what Margaret Chappelle and the Save Our Parks Association folks were protesting. As Edmonton was growing quickly in the 60s and had just annexed the town of Jasper Place to the west, the city administration looked for ways to expand our road system to move all these new people and their cars around. In 1963, the Edmonton Regional Planning Commission came up with METS, the Metropolitan Edmonton Transportation Study. METS mapped out new freeways and bridges running through the ravines around the city's core, It proposed paving over the Capilano Ravine, Mill Creek Ravine, and McKinnon Ravine for roads and bridges. Now, McKinnon Ravine is on the central west end of modern-day Edmonton. It's a smaller ravine sloping down from the west to the east towards the North Saskatchewan River, ending near the hill below Government House and the old Provincial Museum. Maybe you've gone tobogganing around there. Metz envisioned the McKinnon Ravine becoming a freeway that would connect River Valley Road through to the west end of the city as part of a core ring road system. People living near the ravines fought against the freeway plan, and even Parks and Rec Superintendent Jack Wright criticized it. Some of it was stopped. Some of it, like the Capilano Bridge, went ahead. So I met up with Kay to learn more about this at the City of Edmonton Archives, which is inside the Prince of Wales Armories. It's a big old red brick building near the LRT station by Kingsway, and it was on a Wednesday night, because that's when they're open late. Yeah. 
Okay. Hi there. Uh, we are here to visit the archives. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, come on in. Uh, I don't know where I'm going, so I'm up these stairs in this big old hangar-looking building cool. that they added a building inside of to house the archives. Wow. The history of the archives is the extra history we get to learn in this trip. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, Sam. Hello. This is Kay. Hi, Kay. Nice, nice to meet you. you. Nice to meet you. Do you want to introduce yourself for the podcast people this time? I'd love to, yeah. My name's Tim O'Grady. I'm a government records archivist at the City of Edmonton Archives. And I love working with you. It's nice to see you, Tim. Oh, it's nice to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much. Uh, all right, so I pulled uh, a bunch of stuff. Great, folks. Um, yes. These ones are clipping files. Um, so it's just uh, files that volunteers here created full of newspaper clippings based on subject. Uh, so these ones are the city commissioners from the time. I'm pretty sure it's uh, Dudley Menzies and Jeff Hamilton that you're interested in, but I pulled this one too because they were also... Oh my god. Yeah. Actually, this one's J. Malcolm Tweedle. I don't know. Definitely Dudley. I don't know about the I other ones. I think Dudley might be the dad that we're... <laughs> <laughs> Citizens Save Our Parks Association was a citizens organization that was involved in trying to stop the road. Mm -hmm. uh, Margaret Chappelle was quite involved in that as well. Uh, and then these are clipping files about uh, McKinnon Ravine Park, the road, and the bridge. Mm -hmm. So those might have some newspaper articles as well. Cool. Uh, these records here are from um, the Olive P. Hoyle phone. Um, so these are records that were donated by uh, Olive Hoyle, and a lot of them re um, are about the Save Our Parks uh, organization. Oh, interesting. So I, I pulled this out just so you can read the phone description if you're interested. Mm -hmm. um, and then this is the file list. So you're probably not going to want to look at all of the files, but at least you see a description of what they are, and the files are in here. Great. Uh, and then these last ones are government records. Um, so these were created by the corporation of the city of Edmondson, um, specifically from the city commissioner's office. So Dudley and his friends. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so feel free to, to leaf through them, um, maybe one file at a time, and just flip them like the pages of a book so we keep the original order. Paul Bassett was described as the president of the Save Our Parks Association in 1965. But one of the recurring themes in the journal's coverage of these protesters was calling them women and housewives dismissively, as if that made their concerns less serious. Women launch picket war, dot, dot, dot. They resent freeway interest. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we, we, can, well, we can talk about this later, but I found an academic article about this whole thing that oh, mentioned cool. one of the ways that protesters against this um, plan were dismissed is by calling them homeowners or housewives. Right, because it was a lot of women. Mm. Yeah. So I'd be interested if you see a lot of that language. Okay. Oh, here we go. A band of housewives and homeowners. Oh, there it is. Near McKinnon Ravine beca began peaceful picketing across the 142nd Street Bridge. That's our bridge. Uh, this article is October 12th, 1965. West Edmonton's women are on the warpath. <laughs> City fathers, my foot, countered Mrs. Maria Jablonski. One of the things I loved hearing about was the tactics they used. 
women and children paraded across the bridge carrying signs, the 142nd Street Bridge, carrying signs that said, Treeways, not freeways. Keep off the trees. Our children need parks down with Mets. Cut our taxes, not our trees. <laughs> we'll protest next week and probably do more something more drastic like sitting in the trees and blocking the roads, Mrs. Chappelle said. Hmm. More drastic. More drastic. But if there were a bunch of people out there, see why there would be a plausible deniability for it to be any specific person we're reading about. Right. October 12th, 1965. Uh, okay. This is, this is Mrs. Chappelle. Hmm. Our city fathers think this ravine is a dump. It's not. This ravine is attractive and would be more attractive if, if the city bothered to fix it up. This is an established neighborhood. End quote. Reports indicate that youngsters in the area are already causing havoc for the contractors. <laughs> Numerous stakes have been moved from their positions and truck drivers have been harassed by BB guns. Hmm. Uh, quote, we in the engineer's department haven't received protests or threats by people to stop work in the McKinnon Ravine, said George Hodge, assistant city engineer. But if people do take action to stop work in the ravine, some action to restrain them will have to be taken, and this would mean calling in city police. Hmm. This is October 12th. I need to read this out because it's also a fantastic quote. What a fantastic quote from uh, Mrs. Maria Jablonski. Quote, Edmonton is like the barbarian nouveau riche, she said. It grew rich too fast and didn't have time to develop an awareness and appreciation for other human values, exclamation point. I love Edmonton, she said. I chose to live here because of its beauty, and it breaks my heart to see it ruined. So Margaret Chappelle, um, who's described as Mrs. G.F. Chappelle. I know, in, in, in other articles as well, yeah. Um, she's quoted here saying, it's a neighborhood protest. We want to get our protest on the books. We need as much parkland as we can get. It's the principle of the thing that counts. Margaret Chappelle, the artist we read about, was mentioned in a lot of the coverage. This is an article about, it's like a, a bio of Margaret Chappelle by the women's editor, Ruth Bowen. Hmm. And, you know, talk about kind of denigrating the cause because... It's a women's issue. Mm -hmm. It has taken an artist, handsome Margaret Chappelle, to rile borrowers of Edmonton in a second look at the city ravines. <clears throat> um, elsewhere, the attractive wife of a city doctor is an artist and homemaker. Anyway, and she says uh, something that I think is quite interesting given where we're going towards the effigies, which is we don't mean to stand in the way of progress, she asserts. We are perfectly willing to give and take, but I think those of us with convictions about preserving the city's ravines and parklands should stand up and be counted. Kind of a diplomatic hmm. approach. A singular beauty. <laughs> I think that's talking about the valley. Wow, they doxed you right in, right in the papers back in those days. <laughs> They put your your full address. <laughs> so whoever lives on one at one four six two five Stony Plain Road, you used to live in Margaret Chappelle's house, <laughs> or Margaret Chappelle used to live in your house, rather. Mm. I also didn't find anything in this about the conclusion of like 
how people decide, like how it was decided that they would halt work on the McKinnon Ravine. Mm. But here's an article that says they halt work. <laughs> Sorry, I hadn't even looked down at the paper. Well, speak of the devil. <laughs> this is like a one-day work stoppage type situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they halt work. It's it's about a one-day work stoppage situation, but also says that they've been protesting every day. For a week here? For a week on 142nd Street. I like the, the just the level of detail here, the description mm. of what happened on site. Um, so they've been showing up with placards. Um, there's one here that says, Save Our City. Um, and it says... Um, a confrontation between the women and the machines never occurred when they stood in front of the heavy equipment. A pro the project foreman signaled the equipment operators who U-turned their machines and disappeared around a bend in the ravine. After advancing for a short distance toward the bend, the group of eight did an about-face and left the area to the workmen. Isn't that comical, commented Mrs. G.F. Chappelle of 14625 Stony Plain Road. We come and everybody disappears. Mm. Oh, here's some of her art. Oh, cool. Oh, and a picture of her with a horse. Mm. Wow, that's a very expressive, vivid painting of a mountain church. Some nuns. Very cartoon-like nuns, really. Mm. Oh, here's a picture of the dog. Oh, I didn't read that part. At one point, there was an article that was like, someone brought their black poodle with a sign on it that said, I love trees. And then a picture of it. Aw, cute. Very dignified little poodle. This is the same week as the effigies were hung in 1965 here, mm -hmm. October. That's protesting something around Quinell. 37 acres lost, one of the signs reads. Oh! Oh my god! Wow. Got him. You flipped right to it. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Jeff and Dud hanged. October 30th, 1965, one day before Halloween. I was just thinking about that too. Huh. Mm-hmm. This season. <clears throat> Jeff and Dud, labeled Vandals of the Year, were hanged in effigy from the 142nd Street Bridge over McKinnon Ravine sometime Friday night. The two dummies were hanging from the bridge as workers on the freeway construction project in the ravine arrived on the job today. A band of women have been demonstrating in the area for the past three weeks in protest of the freeway's intrusion into parkland. But Mrs. Margaret Chappelle, 14625 Stony Plain Road, said the hangings were not the work of the women. <laughs> Speculation is that the effigies represent city commissioners G.C. Hamilton and Dudley Menzies. So, I, I mean, that speculation seems fair because one of them has a sign hanging around his neck that says Jeff, the other one has a sign hanging around his neck that says Dud in quotation marks. Um, the Dud one is clearly wearing a hat and like a dark business suit. The Jeff one, it's hard to see what it's wearing, but it looks like a suit and tie thing. Definitely too. a tie. Also, his name is misspelled. J-E-F-F. -F. Yeah, not G-E-O-F-F -F, like the real Jeff commissioner was. But I mean, yeah, that seems... <laughs> Like a fair connection to make. <laughs> These were probably made about them. Hmm. Uh, wild. Mm. We found a bit of information on Jeff Hamilton and Dudley Menzies, the two commissioners who were hung in effigy. There wasn't much very exciting about Jeff. I'm not seeing a lot in here about like... What they did. 
his his thoughts and motivations. But um, so there's an article from 1962 where Jeff Hamilton is named the uh, president of the Alberta and Northwest Chamber of Mines. Um, and then there's an article from 1966. Um, says City Hamilton or City Commissioner G.C. Hamilton resigned today. Mr. Hamilton has accepted a vice presidential position with Mannix Co. Limited, one of Canada's largest contractors. He was appointed city commissioner in charge of planning and development in 1961 during the mayoralty of Elmer Roper. Mr. Hamilton will move to Calgary, where Mannix has its headquarters. Prior to his position as city commissioner, Mr. Hamilton was vice chairman of the city's planning advisory commission, a part-time body playing a key part in the civic center development. Mr. Hamilton graduated from the University of Saskatchewan in 1945 with a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering. As commissioner, he was largely responsible for the civic center development to its present point, as well as for the city's industrial development. Although Mr. Hamilton said he was not dissatisfied with the paycheck, he said the whole civic executive salary schedule should be reviewed. Tim, can I ask yeah. you an embarrassingly basic question? There's no basic questions. What does it? There's a, no embarrassing questions. <laughs> <laughs> there are basic ones. <laughs> um, what does a city commissioner do, or what did they do in the 60s? Uh, so the commissioners were kind of like the city manager today, but apparently with much larger powers. So all of administration would report to a particular city commissioner, depending on what their portfolio was. Mm. So I'm assuming that one of those commissioners would have been the uh, responsible for parks, mm. uh, among other things. Um, yeah, so they were at the top of administration, and then and then the commissioner would. Uh, speak to council okay huh. so the city manager today like th is the only person hired by city council city council doesn't like directly get into like the the nitty-gritty of details yeah yeah so the, the commissioner wasn't an elected position it was an appointed position by council mm -hmm. yeah. there was a bit more about dudley menzies we found out that he was later elected to city council where a decade later, he was still fighting to keep the Jasper Freeway plan alive. We also learned that there was a third commissioner at the time, Malcolm Tweddle, but couldn't really see why he wasn't targeted. Oh, here's a 2004 article from the journal that mentions the bridge part of Dudley Menzies' legacy. Hmm. Uh, so this is Sunday, October 3rd, 2004. Dudley Menzies was a bridge builder, figuratively and literally. He earned a degree in civil engineering from the University of Alberta in 1931. After working for both the city and the province, he did postgraduate studies at Harvard. Menzies returned to Edmonton in 1946 to become city commissioner in charge of utilities and public works. Edmonton expanded rapidly over the next 25 years. Menzies negotiated the annexation of surrounding lands, including the towns of Jasper Place and Beverly. He also persuaded city council to buy lots in the River Valley and preserve them as green spaces. To cope with an increase in traffic, Menzies oversaw construction of four new crossings over the North Saskatchewan River, the Grote, Capilano, Quinnell, and James McDonald bridges. He also planned for the development of a rapid transit system. The LRT bridge leading into University Station is named for him. Former Mayor Terry Cavanaugh once said Menzies knew the city infrastructure so thoroughly he could point out where every underground pipe was. Menzies served as an alderman from 1970 to 73. Hmm. Hmm. So this frames his legacy as both building bridges through the River Valley, but also like preserving some of the green spaces there. Things can be complex. Hmm. Um, I believe this is a picture of the McKinnon Ravine 
with the construction that had begun on it because mm. construction had begun and they were making it into a road. Great. Construction crews, sorry, this is a little article from, or really a caption from May 12th, 1966. Construction crews continue to push their way up the McKinnon Ravine with a freeway, which is expected to ease traffic congestion in the west end of Edmonton. Although women from the Save Our Parks Association picketed the crews last summer during the early construction stages, they have made no recent appearances. Above the freeway, above the freeway route, construction proceeds along the river. At left is a view of part of the route looking southeast from the 142nd Street Bridge to the Grote Road Bridge. It's this picture. Oh yeah, this is this is the view. <laughs> <laughs> like the land is cleared. It's still the view, yeah. There's steep banks on either side, but a, like a flat route that. Which has become the route of the multi-use trail. That's exactly the route of the multi-use trail. Okay. Yeah. So like, running, biking in the summer. Is there like cross-country skiing and stuff there in the winter? No. no. Just um, just walking, running, biking. I know it's almost time for us to go. I'm hooked. This is so fun. I went back later to poke through more of the commissioner's files from the Parks Department. I found an interesting report on parkland losses generated in response to the Save Our Parks Association's work. The City Archives folks also brought up a whole bunch of files donated by Olive Hoyle, who was a member of the Save Our Parks group. Olive had left three red and white round buttons that said, I heart McKinnon Ravine Park an amazing full-page illustration of what the McKinnon Ravine would look like if the freeway were built, with little woodland creatures on the side commenting things like, they call it progress. Stacks and stacks of notes from Save Our Parks meetings, drafts of letters to the editor, a copy of a letter she apparently sent to New York's Robert Moses asking for advice on getting freeways out of parks, which was confusing to me because today he's known as the guy who gutted communities by building freeways through them. But I guess Olive had read a profile of him that suggested he might be helpful for the Edmonton Parks cause. There was even a copy of a list of electors for her municipal ward and people's names written down, who I guess Olive thought would be sympathetic to voting for pro-parks aldermen. But no smoking gun about the effigies. In fact, not even a mention. Not in the internal files from the Parks Commission, not in any of Olive Hoyle's files, and not in any of the clippings from newspapers that we'd read on the McKinnon Ravine and Margaret Chappelle. I made phone calls, I read articles, but I couldn't find anybody who I thought could get us any closer to solving this mystery. And then I had a bit of luck. More on that in a minute. This episode of Let's Find Out is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Alberta Blue Cross understands that running a small business is tough, and they understand that business owners in Alberta are busy. If that's you, let Alberta Blue Cross give you peace of mind with a group benefit plan. They offer health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. And Alberta Blue Cross group benefit plans are easy to manage anywhere, anytime, on any device, which makes it easy for your employees to access too. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. That's ab.bluecross.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Connect First Credit Union. Welcome to Super Typical Megabank. How can we disappoint you today? Hi, I'd like to open an account. May I pressure you into considering a pro-disadvantage, high-regret, impersonal, everyday inconvenience savings plan with added compound and confusion at no additional discount or apology? It's one of our top disappointers. I feel so... Disappointed? Yeah. Another unsatisfied customer. 
Next. If your bank makes you feel like this, it's time you talk to us. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. On a windy day about a week later, I met Kay again, just a block away from the McKinnon Ravine and just down the street from Margaret Chappelle's old place, to meet someone who was actually there for all these protests in the 1960s. I, How did you find her? <laughs> um, Alhambra Books is run by a local historian, Tom Monto. Yeah. So I called him asking if he knew of any books about the, this thing. And he was like, no, but um, you could ask Ann Packer if you want. I was like, sorry, what? She's still around? Yeah. Hello. Come on in, please. Thank you. I'm Chris. You come quick. I'm Kay. Hi, Kay. Hi, Chris. Do come in, please. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to speak with us. You don't need to take your shoes off. I just have to tell you right now, it's okay to come in. All okay. Right. <laughs> Such a nuisance. Oh, sure. Hi, my name is Ann Packer. I was an activist uh, and amongst the group of members of Save Our Parks uh, Edmonton uh, that worked hard to keep the McKinnon Ravine from being paved. Ann Packer's house is full of artwork, everything from Inuit art prints to portraits by her son, and even a fairly abstract painting by Margaret Chappelle herself. Yeah, so I grew up around here and then grew up, you know, going into McKinnon Ravine and loving it. And as I grew older, it was sort of my gateway to freedom. You know, I could ride my bike through there to the university and downtown and just grew to appreciate it more and more. Yeah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful sort of asset to the city. It's hugely, yeah. yeah, and I just, I can barely imagine what it would have been like. You know, we we rode go-karts down. Yeah, because it's a slope right down from. Yeah, it's just, I think it's the imagining what my life would have been like if I'd grown up next to a freeway instead of next to a park. Well, I'm sure it affected many people, but at one time, of course, the McKinnon Ravine was full of bush, and there's a little wee sort of spring-fed stream down the middle of it. Yeah. So I I can remember it sort of being like that, and it was sort of interspersed with paths this way and that, and and uh, just like today, homeless people would come in and have little shelters in there. Then they cleared it out, mm-hmm. and. Actually, I, I think it's a, it's more useful as a park being cleared out. I have to admit, you can ride bikes down it, and you I think you, you can feel fairly safe going down there. Um, you know, you can stand on the bridge on just over right here and look down, see people down there. Yeah. So uh, I'd sort of hes- well, you probably would hesitate to go down if it was just a jungle of bush, right? Maybe, yeah. but yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, that, because I think about that as well. That it wouldn't be what it is with the trail that it has, without it having been cleared right. in preparation for yeah. the freeway. It was. It was. Uh, it, uh, it was much. Um, so how long have you lived here? Uh, since 1961, we yeah. moved uh, to uh, uh, that house, which is on 100th Avenue. We're, we're looking at Anne's okay. iPad here. This is uh, the dedication to the. Uh, 
to the park, mm-hmm. and this is Margaret Chappelle and me, and Mrs. Jablonski and Olive Hoyle. Oh, Mrs. Wow. Jablonski. We yeah. were reading about her. <laughs> her son was a, quite a, a renowned uh, um, Chopin pianist. I think he's dead now. Yeah. Mark Jablonski. Hmm. Mark. Is he? I think he died. I haven't seen this picture before. And, and that's uh, Je- um, Jan Reimer. Oh, wow. And that's Margaret and I. The day they dedicated that park. The day they dedicated. This would be in 64, I think. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is, Is that you? Yeah. <gasps> With a, a sign that says, yeah, Freeways free. are not free. So we're looking at you wearing a, a sharp sweater and a skirt and standing by the street with yeah. a picket sign. Oh, yeah, sign. you always <laughs> So the bridge is here. Yeah. And and this is, are you, you must be part of a demonstration here. Yeah. If you want to sort of fool around with those. Sure. You, you know, afterwards, I was thinking, you know, how come I didn't know about the or I've sort of blocked from my mind this whole business about the effigies. Mm. And then it occurred to me, you know, somebody knew about it, yeah. and they just weren't talking. Yeah. That's what, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so we were, you know, I I feel like the story is, is much bigger than the effigies, but the effigies really caught my eye when I saw them, you know, and then we were seeing that nobody in in your group took responsibility for them. It was just like, oh, yeah, those things that showed up. What do you remember about just the, I don't know, the emotion of the neighborhood when when this was getting built, when the road was getting built? Well, they were clearing out the ravine and then they were building the sewer. And I, I would say that, generally speaking, if you had had a referendum that day about whether they should go ahead with METS, they would say, go ahead with it. The community would. I would say that. Yeah. Because everybody was for cars, Right. right. There wasn't a feeling that the city had to have parkland or that it was valuable. And the uh, the uh, power elite in the city certainly wanted the business that would come with the building of a freeway. And I remember somebody talking about the Save Our Parks uh, group, and they said, oh, they're just a bunch of housewives. <laughs> we used to laugh about that, you know. Now they've got these programs on TV, The Real Housewives and stuff. And stuff. <laughs> they're doing something different but anyway you know it just just sort of just shows you how uh, and they were all very able people I have to tell you they they were slouches sort of uh, with their apron whooping up Mm -hmm. muffins every day or anything like that so Margaret Chappelle you know is a very well-known artist I was just curious how uh, knowing that what you were telling us about the temperature of the neighborhood, people sort of being dismissive of the Save Our Park Association, how did you and John get involved in that? Well, it was mostly me uh, because I would go down on the ravine with the kids, and and I just thought it was a terrible thing that they would uh, uh, build this roadway. And, and reading about uh, the experience of places like in New York where they had uh, gone mad about freeways and they cut through neighborhoods. And uh, there was a, this famous Gene Jacobs, you know, who uh, was just talking about the, the nature of communities. And it looks like now people are more accepting of the idea of, uh, you know, 
being able to live and work and shop and do everything without sort of getting in your car and pumping carbon dioxide into the air. So, and anyway, it's, it's sort of my nature, I guess, to be an activist. And uh, she was my neighbor, Margaret Chappelle was my neighbor, and I'd get to talking to her about this, and the next thing you knew, I was out there on Saturdays down at Woodward's store getting signatures and arguments with people. But basically, uh, it's like a lot of things. Um, once When people have it, uh, like they have the parkland now, they wouldn't give it up, I don't think. But um, they really couldn't see any alternative. They didn't see anything wrong. Like the Groat Road is fine. You get to admire this beauty as you're driving through it. If you just have like McKinnon Ravine, nobody appreciates it because nobody knows it's there. Mm. But you think, you know, it's just sort of very narrow thinking. So anyway, we Margaret formed this uh, Save Our Parks Association with uh, a lot of her art, art friends, I think. But uh, the people that were closest to us in that picture, and then there's several others who uh, weren't around. But she would sort of, uh, she was a very persuasive person, very persuasive. And I would say uh, very astute politically. She knew where power lay and how to sort of access it and what kind of pressure to put on it. And the fact that she was a doctor's wife, I think, made her... Uh, a lot more uh, acceptable to some of the, uh, they called them aldermen in those days. Um, and uh, and we were, I guess maybe over time, we were quite fortunate in the kinds of councils that we had. Um, they were willing to accept that the city was growing and that, and that parkland would be needed. Yeah. What are some of the the actual tactics you remember using? Like you showed us that picture of of standing by with the signs on the bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we did have s several marches across the bridge uh, carrying signs. This is the 142nd Street yeah. Bridge. And, uh, and uh, then we would collect petitions and mm -hmm. show up. Uh, you know, we'd go around many times. And it seems to me, I, I can't remember exactly what our role was with respect to. Uh, I think we pushed, the city had to have a referendum on the on the bridge over in the Capilano Ravine, I guess. Mm. And I think we forced, uh, Save Our Parks got so many uh, signatures on a petition that it had to go to a referendum. And I think the referendum pa passed, they did get the right to build the bridge, but then I, I think the, the commissioners could see that if they had to do this for every ravine that was going to get affected, it might be too hard to do. Right. I can't remember too much about that, but we, I know we collected petitions because I remember going out to Beverly and uh, door knocking and you know hanging around Safeways and whatnot to, to collect signatures and, and uh, just talking to people about it. And, uh, some people, you know, I would say, I, I, many votes came up, like to put the sewer in and to, to, to do this, and, and they were sort of inching along. And uh, Margaret Chappelle's job was sort of getting in touch with practically everybody on city council, but especially those ones that she was able to put pressure on and who, who were inclined to agree with her. Uh, and, uh, okay, I have a vote's coming up. 
we'd all go down to city council meetings and, you know, en masse, and sort of that always gave some strength to the people who wanted to stall the next expenditure of money on sort of uh, preparing the ravine for a freeway, because that's the way I think the commissioners <laughs> plan to uh, affect the thing, is just by sort of taking small bites we wouldn't notice, and then pretty soon the thing's all cleared out and they're ready to pay, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, Margaret Chappelle was sort of, you know, making sure that kind of thing didn't happen. Why do you think it was mostly women who were leading this? Well, uh, this is the day before uh, most women were in the workforce, I would say, full-time. Uh, and at that time, I think the role of women in those days is sort of uh, dismissed as being uh, inconsequential. But my experience of women's organizations, I mean, practically every organization. I mean, there's a Canadian Association of University Women. There's still a Catholic Women's League, although I dare say it's not as active as it once was. Um, there were, um, you know, the, the community leagues really, and, and every church, I would, I would imagine, depend very heavily on the efforts of women to keep them, the doors open, the heat on, and if there's ever, churches especially if there were ever a funeral somebody had to make the sandwiches and they did all that sort of thing they're very active in their communities and they uh, so they, they had the time and they uh, and, and this is the way they passed their time not everybody was at home sort of saying oh I'm wasting my life and of course lots of people were in the professions anyway but um, the other thing is that okay coming out of the 1950s Okay, we're already in the 1960s, aren't we? Well, there, there's still this very heavy legacy of uh, sort of a hangover, just sort of in the air of, of the McCarthy era, and where, where men didn't uh, want to, uh, well, there's still lots of people who are involved publicly, but not, not, not in dissenting kind of positions, and where the wife was never going to get sort of, she didn't have a job, and if she had these crazy ideas, nobody was going to fire her or make sure she didn't get promoted or anything like that. Uh, practically every organization relied pretty heavily on women. I was a peace activist against uh, testing nuclear weapons and that sort of thing, so, uh, and there were men who were involved in that too, uh, but mostly they were women. And today, I, th I think that the pressures of life, on particularly on young women, you know, you've got a job and you've got still the preponderance of you married, you've got children. I'm not married and I don't have children, but I do have a job and it does take up a lot of my time. Yeah, you know, that, I think everybody should be involved in, in their communities in, at, at every level. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that it, I know it's very hard now to get people to be active in even community leagues or things like that. Uh, I think that that's, it's, it's probably because as you say, their jobs are so demanding or or the job plus home activities are so demanding, they haven't got the energy to do it. I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, you've got to have some time to yourself. But 
the community is a is the loser for all of this, you know. Mm. I think maybe I'm not saying women should go back into the home or anything like that, but I'm saying that men should take. You know, there ought to be some rotation of. of okay, yeah. women should have. You know, everybody should have a sabbatical every say four or five years, mm. and uh, not just to go somewhere else, but to also to to take part in the community. I mean, you can't have active citizenry if you don't have people involved in the community. I'm struck by a couple of things. One of them, you know, you say you don't want women to go back into the home, but it strikes me that, like you say, you weren't in the home. You had, you were out saving the park. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second thing is, is just about how, you know, unromantic some of this important work is that it's it isn't it isn't romantic at all it's like you know putting on your mitts and your toque and going out to just down in front of Safeway to have, you know, sometimes we'd go into the store and then we'd be asked to leave or, you know, <laughs> and, and it's it, it isn't romantic but you uh, it, it's it really is hard work and I I don't know uh, I think uh, I really, don't know anything about social media. I try to avoid it, but it's 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 so uh, easy for people to sort of um, gang up and uh, gang up for good things with crowd funding for you know somebody who's needy and lost a family member, some terrible thing, and at the same time it's they can gang up on on good things too. It's just not the same as going out and looking somebody in the eye. Just to come back to the, that week in October in 1965. So you've told us about that year you were collecting petitions, you were doing marches across bridges. Um, we have the, the picture of the dog that was brought to the the city council protest. <laughs> I wonder if that was L.E.D. Young's dog. And this is a, a black poodle wearing a sign that says, I love trees. Thinking of the effigies that were hung, like this doesn't does that seem to you like something anyone in SOPA would have been connected to? Um, so we're looking at the the front page of the journal on October thirtieth, and the the picture of those effigies hanging from the hundred and forty second Street Bridge. I really can't imagine. I, I don't know who would have done. All I can say is that Margaret Chappelle had many friends in the arts community. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Do you um remember there being a lot of talk about Jeff and Dud, as they were called, those two uh, aldermen? Yes. Commissioners. Oh, pardon me, commissioners. And um, anyway, they were, they, they were pretty very much con- you know, in favor of uh, going ahead with the Mets plan uh, and maybe not going full Mets plan. At some point they decided that, well, we can't afford it, but definitely making something like the another Groat Road. I remember Menzies as being more of a, he was more of a bit noir mm. to us because he was uh, maybe the elder, anyway, very, very sort of influential person. Mm. How well known were they? How many people would have even known their names? Oh, they'd be in the paper all the time. Yeah. Oh, he was very influential, mm. I'd say. They were quite well known, I would say. His name would be quoted in the paper a lot. We had trouble finding them in the paper. We were finding other, we were finding some aldermen, but we had 
trouble finding them in the paper related to this until all of a sudden their effigies are hung for a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of like, well, how did they get here? How did anybody well, know? That's what makes me think, well, whether John Q. Public knew anything about them, I don't know, but <laughs> but people in Save Our Parks would definitely have known them, you right. know. Um, and then um, just, just thinking about like whether Menzies himself would have considered um, the Save Our Parks Association as the ones responsible for it, I only found like one file from him around that time in the parks commissioner files and it's it, it makes no mention of it it it's addressed to you and margaret and a couple other people you had written about the need for immediate tree planting because all the dust and fumes and noise for the road building was coming in and you'd requested that the city plant trees right away and on november 9th so like a week and a half after that thing had happened he writes back um, to Margaret, I assume, on behalf of all of you, saying, uh, with reference to your letter of the 10th uh, to the mayor and commissioners asking for immediate planting of trees along the top of the bank in McKinnon Ravine, we took this up with the park superintendent and for your information forward you a copy of his report. So it doesn't say, hey, and by the way, why did you hang me from the bridge? Right. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, I, I thought... Hmm. I wonder if he was aware of this. How could it not have been on his radar that this I mean, was, it was happening? On front page news and the city paper, which yeah. everybody read at that time, yeah. like would have been aware. But yeah. also everybody read the paper at the time. That's the other thing yeah. is compared to today. Yeah. Yeah. I I I actually today we're gonna go down to the ravine, and I I I'm not really familiar with this ravine at all. So I'm both excited to go see it and really appreciative of folks like you who worked so hard to keep it a parkland in, instead of a road. So thank you. Well, that's what we did it for is that we didn't, we just thought it would be a nice thing to have a park, you know, coming right up into the community, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. to, to get down to the ravine from here, you know, you just go to the first corner, go to your left and you'll see the bridge and you can, there's a path down. I'll give him a tour. I'm I'm very familiar. Yeah, I'll give him a tour. I just like to emphasize the fact that uh, it it wasn't uh, saving the McKinnon Ravine from pavement was really a, a, cons a concerted effort, and it went on a heck of a long time, and required a persistence that uh, you know people usually get bored with. And I'm not saying we didn't get bored with it. Not another council meeting, sort of. But you, it's just leaning into it and and just keeping on going with it. Well, we lived right beside the McKinnon Ravine at that time, and Margaret Chappelle just lived, in, and uh, Olive Hoyle just lived about a block that way, and Mrs. Toblonski around the corner there too. So. Um, like we were intimately involved with what happened in, in the McKinnon Ravine because we lived so close to it. Mm -hmm. But I, I would have felt the same about it even if I'd lived like five miles away. They shouldn't put pavement in the bottom of the ravine, but I wouldn't have been as active. Right. It's because it was going to, um, I mean, I wouldn't have been affected by noise or anything all that much. But it's just the principle of the thing. It's it's parkland in Edmonton's 
pretty lucky to have it and we ought to preserve what we can instead of trying to sort of redeem it later on, you know. Words of wisdom, I think. Uh, oh, I haven't got any to offer. Oh, no, well, you've already <laughs> offered it. It's too late. No, thank uh, you. I haven't got any wisdom. You, you don't get smarter as you get older, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. The Jasper Freeway Plan did indeed take decades to defeat. We've focused a lot on the Save Our Parks Association in this episode, but there's a really interesting paper arguing that the McKinnon Ravine fight was also part of huge changes to how citizens engage with urban planning in Edmonton, changes that took place from the 60s to the 80s when this fight was being fought. The, this paper is written by the University of Alberta's Shannon Stundenbauer, who's a history professor in my department. Uh, she connects the Save Our Parks emphasis on recreation and leisure in ravines with a bigger middle-class urban reform movement that was emerging in North America and in Edmonton. There was an assistant professor of community development and public affairs teaching at the U of A's Department of Extension at this time, Jerry Wright. And Jerry Wright started a night school program called the Practicum in Community Analysis. The idea was to give Edmontonians a chance to dig into community development for themselves. And in 1970, the very first practicum was focused on a new bylaw that the city was considering that would authorize more construction on the METS plan. The participants in this practicum, they published a volume that argued that Edmonton's transportation system was out of balance, too focused on cars, not enough on public transportation. And they argued that public transportation was more economically rational. The volume had lighthearted drawings and showed fun things you could do in the ravine if it wasn't turned into a road. At any rate, not so many people were moving into the West End by the early 70s. And Shannon Sennenbauer draws a line between these things and a city council vote on that bylaw in April 1971. To the shock of city engineers, city council voted against the bylaw to proceed with the Mets plan. And then a month later, they voted against the Mill Creek Freeway. Participants in a later practicum pushed for LRT development instead to develop the city fabric rather than destroy it. In 1972, city council voted to stop construction on the McKinnon Ravine. And when members of this movement saw city administration as only listening to developers on these issues and not citizens, they formed the Urban Reform Group of Edmonton, or URGE, which urged more public transportation to reduce pressure for these freeways and pushed for more citizen development decision-making. Urge elected a bunch of aldermen in the 70s and 80s, including Jerry Wright. A new vision of city development started to win the day with folks like Mayor Cease Purves, one that was driven by citizens more than engineers. And what citizens said they wanted in the McKinnon Ravine was no road. In 1984, the freeway was officially scrapped, and a park opened in the ravine. That's the dedication ceremony Anne showed us pictures of, with Margaret Chappelle and Jan Reimer. Patrick Marriott is an Edmontonian who grew up in Crestwood nearby. He told me through Facebook that when he was part of the Sound Transportation and Environmental Planning Society here in the early 80s, they worked with the city's parks department to bring in soil that was actually excavated from the Canada Place redevelopment downtown to make McKinnon Ravine look a little more natural and less tempting for future freeway proponents. I think one of the most interesting things that Shannon Stenenbauer argues in her paper is that that 1984 celebration popped the balloon of enthusiasm for remaking governance in Edmonton, because that issue that took decades to resolve connected activists who were focused on the ravine with activists who were more focused on remaking how the city worked. 
In the picture of Anne where she's holding her son's hand with the sign that says freeways are not free, her hair is dark brown, and in the pictures of the park dedication ceremony, it's gray. It took a long time, but now it seemed like the issue was settled. Yeah. After Kay and I left Ann Packer's place, we decided to take a walk down the street to see McKinnon Ravine in person, and the 142nd Street Bridge over the ravine that had inspired her question. This is how I like to go into the ravine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We're on. It's it's called Summit Drive at this point, I guess. Yeah. We're walking along a trail, not a paved trail, no. down through the trees. Um. Yeah. What were your impressions? Um. It was cool to hear the context of, you know, the, the why was this movement driven so much by women yeah. and what you had pointed out about how easy that made it to dismiss yeah. protesters. Like, like, all sides of that are interesting to me that, like, I feel like here in 2022, people are paid too little and so have to work too much and so don't have any time don't have any time to devote to like creative important community work and then the people who do show up get dismissed as like well why aren't you working yeah um so that i loved what she said about like yeah in partnerships people should really give each other a sabbatical every four or five years to go and do community work yeah i like that and be part of the community. I was really, I loved hearing the context. I also, as somebody who, you know, is working and feels like so much of my valuable time is taken up with that, not always in ways that I value. Mm -hmm. um, I was just like, I was struck by how her community involvement also sort of centered around property ownership. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how, you know, she was sort of lamenting that people aren't living into their communities as much. And I think a lot of people live into their communities in different ways, but also there's a lot less property ownership in our generation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a lot less stability in where you live. Yep. Um, you know, we could talk about the ethics of property ownership, but in terms of stability of where you live, like I think that is so disruptive to ability, the ability to organize around these kind of like micro movements. Mm -hmm. And that's the 142nd Street Bridge that, we're looking at? Yep. So this is the bridge that the effigies were hung yeah, for. Yeah, we could take a picture. It would have been right there. Weird. I... Yeah. In terms of, like, what the effigies meant, it's it's funny. Like, I, I think when we met, we were talking about the, like, potential usefulness of, like, more radical yeah. types of activism. And... I think was making an argument for like 
sustained, committed, long, boring, slow activism. Yeah. And sort of saw those effigies as just a, bl- a blip. Yeah, that's just like a small moment in a much larger thing. Yeah. That, I mean, I think she thought they were funny too. <laughs> and I think that that was part of the point. And clearly, like, I mean, they were making the paper all the time, it seems like, but that made front page news, you mm. know? It was like that's something true. loud. Um like there were moments of being loud amidst a lot of quiet standing at the Safeway, it sounded like. With your two good Okay. Well, thanks Kay for coming on a learning journey with me. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> I have one more thing that I thought that I wanna say very quickly, which is like you can see the city from these places and I think one thing that the valley does actually help and the ravines help with even though I'm saying it's hard to imagine what they're like otherwise but because there's still quite a lot of green space in Edmonton I often find when I'm in the ravine and seeing this like weird forest turned into downtown Edmonton scene it's actually really invites a lot of imagination of like right we made it like this (laughs) this didn't just happen this way yeah that's all yeah and for for better and for worse Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Chris. Thanks for finding out things with me. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for finding out with me. Sorry we didn't find out who hung the Jeff and Dud things, but I think we learned a lot of other things along the way. Agreed. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening. Let's Find Out is produced by Trevor Chow Fraser and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and on Patreon. Thanks to Kay Rollins, Ann Packer, and Tim O'Grady. Research help in this episode from Shannon Stunnenbauer, Patrick Marriott, Don Valentine, Tom Monto, and Bruce Cinnamon. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast by the inordinately lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Until next time, keep your questions coming.